It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Here's Donald. Carry it out. Deep ball. Separation. Caught. Robbie Anderson. Goodbye. Touchdown, Jets. The whole NFL is watching. A fourth and ten. And here they come. Make this pass. It's intercepted by Mosley. Moving on down the top. Bell breaks a tackle. Looking downfield, fires this one, and intercepted at the 34. Jamal Adams goes down on the ground and takes it away. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the Vivid Seats Studios, use the promo code OVERTIME to get yourself up to 100 bucks off your very first purchase when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I'm joined for the latest news and the weekend mailbag by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, a new quarterback in the building, a familiar face in the building as well. What's going on at the quarterback position, sir? Well, you know, Trevor Simeon started last week. Obviously, guys out for the season now after that gruesome injury. So they got a new starter with, with Luke Falk, but that meant that they needed to go and get a new backup. And they went and signed David Fales, who uh, has a history with Adam Gase, starting from his time in Chicago when uh, Gase was there for a year. And then Fales, uh, uh, David Fales, um, David Fales went and joined him in Miami, played a little bit in Miami. Uh, but not not much. Uh, obviously, he has familiarity with the system. And under this time constraint, especially with Darnold coming back, whether it's in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever, it, Gase's options were really limited on who to bring in because you're, you're not going to bring in another quarterback and have him you know, spend two or three weeks learning the system. So he went to David Fales, brings him in, if Fails needs to play right away uh, on Sunday for whatever reason, they can throw him in there, and at least he will be able to run most of the things in the playbook. Um, so that is your new qu- quarterback number two. As far as the old face back in the building, Sam Darnold has been back in the building now. He is no longer contagious. He is allowed to uh, be in the facilities. He's allowed to go to practices. He's allowed to watch, sit in film room, sit in the meetings. So at least he can start doing things mentally. He's still not able to do any type of conditioning. So he can't do anything physical. Still can't be throwing footballs around. Uh, it's, you know, so once he finally gets cleared, he's still going to have to do some stuff to get himself back and ready. Um, but, Again, it's. I know people are going to be excited about the fact that he's back, and, and he said that he's targeting the Eagles games, and he said the doctors think he can be ready for the Eagles game. But this is the thing about uh, you know mono and any type of thing like mono. Everyone, everyone listening has gotten the flu multiple times in their life, and sometimes they've gotten the flu, and it's just like ah, I can't really go anywhere. But you know. This isn't too bad. And sometimes you get the flu and it's like you're just absolutely can't do anything for like three three or four days. 
Um, so with mono, <clears throat> you can you can get it. It could be not that too bad, and obviously that's what everybody's hoping for. Especially you, you got to figure that they've spent no ex, uh, expense uh, with Darnold getting him everything to try to get better. So maybe he will be able to improve better. But the key is still that spleen. He will not be able to do any conditioning or do anything until that spleen gets back down to its regular size. And it's not an ankle injury where you're just like, okay, it's going to be a week or two, you know, day-to-day type thing. You have to wait until that spleen is actually back to its regular size, and there's no way to really know for sure a timetable to put on that. One of Darnold's best weapons when he comes back is going to be Robbie Anderson. He had some interesting things to say about Patriots cornerback Stephon Gilmore, who, for my money, is the best cornerback in the league right now. I know everybody's talking about Jalen Ramsey, and certainly Jalen Ramsey is one of the best, but I think Gilmore is tops. But Robbie Anderson said part of the reason that Stephon Gilmore is arguably the best cornerback in the league is because he gets away with stuff. Yeah, and... uh I, I agree with you, Gilmore. You have to put Gilmore as the top guy right now. Um, it, it's a little unfair for J- Jalen just because of the way that the Jags have been using him as, as not as much uh, press man, which is his obvious strength. But Gilmore has been the best. And he uh, Robbie was asked about it. He said, yeah, he's really good. Uh, he holds a lot, but he's really good. Um, number one, I think it, people are uh, it's getting too much traction this seems to happen a lot in the NFL receivers say this about cornerbacks. It's a lot of time they're throwing that out into the media, uh, trying to prepare the refs to look for it early. Uh, this has happened numerous times since I've been covering the team. People, receivers said it all the time about Revis. I remember uh, Brandon Marshall saying it um, uh, about, uh, I can't remember who the quarterback was in Miami. That, that quarterback wasn't very good though. Uh, I can't remember the name. I'm spaced on it. But after Robbie was answered that question, I, I followed up and asked him specifically. I was like, is that a part of what makes, uh, you know, what you have to do to become an elite corner for elite corners to be able to get away with that type of stuff? And he was just like, yeah, you know, not really for me to say. So he wasn't trying to go down that road with me. He wasn't trying to expound on that thought any further. It just sounds like normal gamesmanship that happens, you know, at least every other week in this league. Darrell Rivas had that arm bar and a lot of wide receivers used to complain about him too. So as you said, Chris, it's just the nature of the game and also the nature of the game these days is that you are going to get penalized and possibly fined if you touch the quarterback after he releases the ball. That's what happened to Jamal Adams. Fined $21,000. He got the 15-yard roughing the passer penalty. I'm going to go with Joe Blewett on this one from rewatching the tape. I think you could make a case for the penalty, I think the fine was ridiculous, $21,000. I know that he took two steps and then hit him, but it wasn't some sort of dirty hit. He went out of his way not to hit him near the head. It wasn't a super rough hit, so I don't think that the fine was warranted. Jamal Adams was infuriated by this. He went off on his Twitter. He's gone off talking to the media about this. He has let everybody know that he is not pleased. In fact, I believe his exact words were, I didn't sign up to play two-hand touch. But Chris, this does beg the question, I wonder if he keeps going down this road, the NFL is going to find a way to find him again for comments detrimental to the league or something like that. Yeah, you you never know, and especially, uh, you know, because he, he made a joke about how 
Next time, I guess I'll just ta- tap them and say, tag, you're it. I agree with you and Joe, though. Like, so watching that play, you can totally understand how the refs could call that on the, on the field as the game is happening in real time without looking at replay. So, like, it, it's one thing to say, okay, that was a little bit of a soft call, but you can understand why the flag was thrown. But for them to go back and look at it and then say, nope, $21,000, give it here. And Jamal wasn't, Jamal wasn't hiding it. He said that he was pissed because of the money. He, like, so I forget exactly how it was phrased, but someone was like, what bothers you the most about it? Is it because of this? He's like, no, it, it's the money. It's the 21 grand. I don't want to be losing 21 grand. And that's understandable. And then this also, again, we've talked about this in the past. It's one thing for Jamal to get hit with 21 grand. It's another thing if you're talking about a six-round draft pick working on a much cheaper contract. Like, 21 grand is almost a, a year's worth of rent for these players. Like, that's that's crazy. And then you can look at the what happened last uh, with the Titans-Jags game, and they had that uh, – the Titans got flagged for a roughing the pedal, uh, passer call – and Tom Brady chimes in, let him play. Well, Tom Brady, hey, guy, you're the reason why they have the, the rules are like this now. You, you got, had suffered one serious injury in your career, and the whole game changed because of it. And you also happen to complain to refs more than anybody else in the league. So it's a little, a little rich for you to be sitting there saying, let them play now. But then the other part of it is, Watching that same Titans-Jags game, I saw Mariota get hit on a couple plays that looked identical to the one that they flagged uh, the Titans defender, Correa, on. Identical hits, and nothing was called. You see the the Steelers-Seahawks uh, game the other day when uh, Russell Wilson got hit in the face with by a helmet and nothing was called. And then the other thing about the Jamal penalty – Baker was out of the pocket at that point. There's supposed to be different rules then. He's not if he if he was in the pocket and he did that, then I could see it. He was almost at the sidelines and he had just thrown it. It was there's supposed to be different rules. That's not supposed to be a penalty and a fine when you're outside of the pocket. The biggest problem with this stuff in the NFL is there's zero consistency in how they uh, uphold these calls. There's one thing I do have to add here, Chris. I saw that there was a GoFundMe that was started to help pay this fine for Jamal Adams, the $21,000. I think that the fine was unwarranted. I think that Jamal Adams shouldn't have to pay 21000 and I know that he makes a lot of money, but $21,000 is still a hefty chunk of change. That said, if you're starting a GoFundMe, do not start it for a millionaire athlete who has to pay a fine. All due respect to Jamal Adams, there are much bigger things in this world that you can contribute your money to. So if you're looking to contribute to a good cause, give your money to sick children or something along those lines. Jamal Adams doesn't need your charity. I would like to think that if they do hit their goal and the $21,000 comes to fruition, that Jamal Adams will donate it to charity. Chris, you said you think the rules wouldn't even allow him to accept it anyway. But the point is, this is silly. So if you're contributing money to Jamal Adams' GoFundMe campaign, maybe rethink what you're doing. Take that money and redirect it to a cause that needs your money a lot more. Yeah, you you know how I feel about players and money and how I feel about... They should be able to get 
as much money as possible. They should be able to keep as much money as possible. They should get even a bigger stake of, uh, of the money the NFL brings in. And I hate uh, when fans sit there and talk about spoiled millionaires and, like, complain about, oh, well, you're rich, so, like, you nothing in life can ever bother you. I, I hate all that stuff. But Jamal, Jamal's got more money than the people donating here. What are you doing? Like, they're, they're, Jamal can afford to pay this. He shouldn't have to pay it, but he certainly shouldn't be collecting, uh, you know, money, a GoFundMe from people who have less money than him. I, I just think sometimes fans want to prove that they're the best fans, which is ludicrous to me. But, like, so you go out there and you don't have nearly as much Jamal. You're trying to crowdfund for him. He's going to be fine. Don't do it. Like you said, go ahead, start a GoFundMe for uh, starving kids or, you know, something, uh, cancer patients, like people with disease, this – there's a lot of people that need your help in this in this world. Jamal Adams is not one of them. And on that somber note, Chris, let's dip into the mailbag. This first question comes in from Danny Rodriguez. He says, how come the Jets didn't try to put in a waiver claim for Taco Charlton? I know that he's been disappointing so far in his career, but he's still young. He showed a lot of upside in college, and the Jets are obviously desperate edge rusher even more so with Copeland suspended and Jenkins injured. And by the way, we're going to get into the injury report tomorrow with Dr. Stoller. So don't you worry. We'll have all the latest on that coming up on the pregame report tomorrow. To answer this question, Danny, the best thing I can tell you is I suspect that if the Jets were interested, they only would have been interested if nobody had claimed Charlton, because remember, he still has first-round pick money coming on that contract. And when you claim a guy on waivers, you claim him at the price he's being paid. So if they were interested at all, that's probably why they didn't attempt to put in a waiver claim for Taco Charlton. It would be because even though they may have been willing to take a chance on him, they weren't willing to do it at that hefty a price. Yeah, there's that. And then there's also how many more defensive linemen does this team need? Uh, um, they remember uh, Nathan Shepard went out with the suspension, but they went and just, just like I, my time is, I'm, I'm terrible at time. Was it just a week ago that they claimed George, or they got Jordan Willis from the Bengals, another defensive lineman. So they got a bunch of defensive linemen. I definitely completely understand and agree with the point of the, you know, they don't have enough pass rush on that defensive line. And I was a big taco fan when he coming out of Michigan. So I get that. Uh, but I think it's a combination there be, that they, they're sitting there looking at him and okay, maybe he could help, but we're not, we like the group that we have right now. And it's not just throw a, a dart at the board on, take a shot at Taco Charlton because of all the other needs that they, they have that they probably couldn't afford to keep have another guy, so they'd probably have to release somebody else. And I don't think that they wanted to, to release anybody that they have right now for Taco Charlton. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. 
They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Soul Brother. He says, What up, gents? Am I insane for wanting the Jets to pull a Dolphins-like sale? Yes, right now you are, because we're only two games into the season, and even if they lose to the Patriots on Sunday, which we all expect, the season's not over yet. Remember, we all expected the first six games to be extremely difficult, even if Darnold was healthy, and then the schedule gets much, much easier. So if the Jets can maybe steal a game against the Eagles or Cowboys, I know it doesn't seem likely, but you never know, and then they can go on a run when the schedule gets easier. Anything's possible. I think that it would be a little crazy to be selling off key pieces of this team right now. I saw people <coughs> suggesting that the Jets should try to trade Le'Veon Bell, which is crazy for a variety of reasons. Number one, the cap hit would be ridiculous. Number two, why would you want to trade a player who could be a key piece for you for the next couple of years while Darnold's on his rookie contract? And number three, I don't even know what Le'Veon Bell's value would be at this point. So I don't see doing that or any other fire sale type moves right now. Well, uh, let me start on that Le'Veon Bell part too. Remember, the reason why he is a Jet is because nobody else was willing to pay what the Jets were willing to pay. So why? So now people think that somebody is going to trade a significant draft pick to pay Le'Veon Bell what he's going to pay? That's that's not happening. Well, Chris, let me just jump in on that. There are two things I can say where teams may have changed their mind about wanting Le'Veon Bell now. Number one, there are teams that might have been scared off, wondering how much Bell has left. Watching the last two weeks, obviously they would be convinced that he's still an elite player. The other thing is, remember, the Jets are on the hook for all the guaranteed money. So if you trade for him, you get Le'Veon Bell with zero guaranteed money having to be paid out to him. So that could be the allure of trying to get Bell. That said, I don't know that he would have a ton of value at this point. And certainly he would have a lot more value to the Jets over the next couple of years under Darnold's rookie deal, having an elite playmaker like that. So I still think the idea of trading him is insane. Yeah, you're, you're right. My bad on that. Uh, but that also just goes and shifts it to a diff- 
shifts the absurdity of it to a different uh, point because now you're on the hook for all these guarantees. Mm-hmm. You're paying him, and he's not even on your team. Mm-hmm. Um, so now a Dolphins-like sale, it, it would be insane right now, especially – you know, now if if Darnold can't come back to week eight, week ten, and then 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 maybe you could get closer to thinking that. But uh, with him still possible to be back for the Eagles game or the week after or two weeks after, uh, it doesn't make sense to do anything like that. I have come around on the idea of hey, if you can get something for Leonard Williams, go ahead and do that at this point. Uh, I mean, he, he has just looked invisible out there, and I know a lot of. Uh, his responsibility is just to go in there and clog things up. But it, they're so deep at that defensive line and without being able to really generate much of a pass rush there. If you could go ahead and get something for Leonard Williams right now, go for it. Because I don't even know what type of contract he's going to get on the open market. We've been uh, operating under this assumption that he's going to get, he'd be, they'd be able to get a, a collect a third round comp pick for him. If he walked in free agency, I don't even know if he's going to get that type of contract. I could see doing that, but a full, you know, trying to actually uh, sell, get rid of multiple players. Also, there's there's not, you know, it, you, we, we'd have to be talking about uh, Darnold and and Jamal Adams, and, like we'd have to be talking about those guys to get any type of actual serious haul back. Um, so, yeah, you, you just can't uh, go through that much, uh, and, and it's not realistic in any way, shape, or form. I'm going to go down with the Leonard Williams ship because my thought is I don't want to sell low, and I want to see what he can do once Quinton Williams is healthy and C.J. Mosley is back. I still think there's hope for him at least to be a much better player than he's been the first two weeks, and I feel like if you traded him now, you really wouldn't get that high of a return, so... I personally would hang on to Leonard Williams for a bit because I just don't think there's enough to gain by trading him. I think the upside of keeping him and seeing what he can do with those guys fully healthy is much higher than the draft pick that you would get at this point, which is, let's be honest, probably at most a fourth-round pick, and I just think that you're better off hanging on to him. He's 24 years old and seeing what he can do once he's fully acclimated with those other players. Yeah, I get that. Um I, but I also would kind of be like, hey, get him out of here, and then let's give uh, Kafusi some more reps. Let's get uh, let's get Kyle Phillips some more reps. Let's see what some of these other guys can do. Because, I mean, Leonard Williams was great in his rookie year. And like, it, you, we kept thinking he was going to take that next step, and it's just year after year he seems to get progressively worse. And this is uh, like. I, as much as me and you laugh at a lot of the Jets fans sitting here, you know, calling Quinn and Williams a bust already because he got hurt in the first game, I do understand their trepidation there because the Jets do have this history of getting defensive linemen who look great right out the bat and then they just their play slips for whatever the reason is, whether it's Muhammad Wilkerson, whether it's Sheldon Richardson, whether it's Leonard Williams. This seems to be a trend with the Jets, and that, and it doesn't ever get turned around with the player here. To be fair, though, Chris, 
there were mitigating circumstances with those other players. Muhammad Wilkerson I, I had an injury and he got hurt. But before that, we both know that he was a dominant player. He was one of the best players in the NFL. He was trending towards perennial all-pro status at that point. And then the injury happened. He got paid. And I guess it was a combination of his health and just not caring anymore. And he took a huge nosedive. And with Sheldon... Look at what he's doing with the Browns. Look at what he did last year. He was still a really good player. I think a lot of the problem was, and we've talked about this before off the air, Todd Bowles didn't know what to do with him. And because they drafted Leonard Williams, they moved him to another spot where he wasn't effective. So I don't think that the Jets' problem has been drafting guys that have essentially been very good defensive linemen. And I also don't think that it's fair to categorize the trend of drafting guys on the defensive line that were busts or disappointing. As I said, I think there are reasons why those guys didn't turn into perennial all-pros, but they were all good players. I think Leonard Williams still has a chance to improve, at least upon the first two games of the season. I also think that his performance over the course of his career as a Jet is better than most fans tend to give him credit for. Again, if the return was good, I would certainly consider it, but I just feel like the return wouldn't be good enough to justify giving up on him now. I hate to sell low unless it's a completely sunk cost, and I'm not entirely convinced that Leonard Williams is a sunk cost just yet. I want to see what he can do once he's got Quentin Williams healthy next to him and C.J. Mosley behind him. I'm sure there are a ton of Jet fans that disagree with me, and I know you do, but that's just where I'm coming from. Yeah, I get it. I I agree with pretty much everything you just said. Uh, but again, it's just uh, this is, and I'm not normally as someone a uh, play the results type of person. But there's there's some seems to be something. It doesn't matter that there's extenuating circumstances that make sense. It's just it's always something with the with the new defensive lineman falling off with this team. And I, you're holding a little stronger to that hope of Leonard being able to do it than I am. I was holding strong in the offseason. I thought he was going to look a lot better this year. I haven't seen it. It doesn't mean he can't turn it around. But at this point, I I can't sit here and defend him like I used to. I just kind of have to throw my hands up. And I, if I was uh, a Greg Williams, I'm in charge here, I might be thinking about trying to get some other some of these other guys some reps over him with the way he played in the first two weeks. I can't disagree that he's been very disappointing so far this season. And maybe Greg Williams will do something like that and try and light a fire under him. But like I said, I think it all depends on the return because he still has enough talent that I feel like it would be worth hanging on to him and seeing what you can get out of him rather than dumping him for a pick that's probably not going to be worth that much. But if a decent enough offer comes, certainly you'd have to consider it. And I'm not saying that Leonard Williams is ever going to break out to be that player that they were hoping for when he was picked sixth overall. But I would like to see what he can do once he has a little more help around him. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from JetsJoe73. He says, which WWE theme should Sam come out to when he returns to the lineup? The most popular image of Sam Darnold is Sam Darnold with the American flag. 
which means two things. The first is that Sam Darnold is an American hero, obviously. And the second is that there is only one WWE theme song that would fit the return of Sam Darnold. And that theme song, of course, is the theme of the immortal Hulk Hogan, Real American by Rick Derringer. There is no other answer. Yeah, I mean, th- this is obviously uh, directed more at you than me uh, because oh, I wasn't even thinking about that until you just uh, brought that up and then the song went in my head and the only other one I can think of is The Undertaker. So that, <laughs> that I guess, yours is uh, a little more fitting. The Undertaker's for my money, is way cooler. Uh, but I don't know that that's the, the message that uh, that you want to send out there with him coming back from Mono is coming out to Undertaker thing. You know, like he, like he's, he's dead and I don't I don't know. <laughs> I think that might be more for Henry Anderson or something like that <laughs> after yeah. he clobbers a guy and that guy has to try and get up. Next question comes in from Paulie Brzez. He says, do you oh, guys boy. miss me? And then we proceeded to go back and forth with about 10 different gifts of CM Punk. I'm sure that you loved seeing that, Chris, since you were tagged in this. The answer to your question, Paulie, of course, is... No, I don't miss you, and the reason is because I have yet to get my formal invite to dinner at the Brzez household. I've been promised Mrs. Brzez's meatballs for a long time now. You have not delivered on this promise, so because of that, no, I do not miss you, Polly. I'm just going to say, uh, you know, Polly uh, Paul, was actually around and at the stadium and at the game, and I didn't learn about it until way too late. So, I mean, I don't know what to say. There's that too. Chris, we were both there. I didn't hear anything from Polly. You didn't hear anything from Polly. So why would we miss somebody that doesn't even care enough to text us and let us know that he's at the stadium? I, I got to the stadium super early too. I, I normally try to time it so I'm not there too early because I don't want to be twiddling my thumbs there. But the night games, I have to get there early because the traffic from my house to the stadium right in the middle of rush hour is a disaster. And then all of a sudden I get I have to sit in the traffic for the game. And then there's like barely any spots for me to park. So I was there at like 430 in the afternoon. I, I didn't hear anything for Bali. So, I mean, I don't know. How, how much can he miss us? Probably not that much. Let's be honest about it. It hurts deep inside. It really does, Chris. It hurts. Yes. Next question comes in from our buddy Gus Toon. He says, is it better to sit players who are not 100% against the Pats who, let's face it, will most likely stuff the Jets and give them an extra week of recovery, which hopefully will coincide with the return of Sam Darnold. I'm going to say 100% absolutely. We'll get into the injury report tomorrow, but if there's anybody that Gase is reasonably worried about, just rest him and let the Patriots do their thing because even if Darnold was healthy, even if the Jets were full strength going into Foxborough, that was going to be a monumental ask. With all these guys banged up, it is going to be almost impossible. Not impossible, nothing's impossible, but almost impossible. So why go out there with these players that are hurt, force them to play injured, maybe get themselves even more injured so that they miss a bunch of other games? I say just sit everybody that you're even remotely worried about and get ready for the game against Philly after the bye. Absolutely. And, you know, this answer might vary if the bye week was week 10 or something like that. But bye week is next week. So no need to rush uh, C.J. Mosley, uh, Quinn and Williams back. If they're not 100% and ready to go, then just go ahead and sit them. 
give them another week, uh, you know, additional week to rest and get ready. Again, let, let's just be realistic here. The chances of them beating the Patriots are slim to none with or without those guys. No need to jeopardize or risk them getting hurt any further. Let them get back to 100% and then uh, have them, you know, Quinn and Williams and Mosley uh, for sure. I, if As long as they don't have any setbacks, they will be ready for the Eagles game. Um, I So I, I, I wouldn't play them. I just wouldn't play them. And then, you know, Blake Cashman, one of the bright spots of, of these couple first couple of weeks, Blake Cashman looked really good. Obviously, he's not uh, C.J. Mosley, but give him another game out there without C.J. Mosley, see how he does, let him uh, get his first experience against Belichick. And then when Mosley comes back, maybe you can see the two of them in there together. You know, Neville Hewitt's played uh, fairly well as well. But, um, yeah, there's no need to rush them back in a game that we're fairly certain that they're going to lose. Um, Just get them healthy and have them ready for the Eagles game. Gus Tune has another question. He says, Roberts, Hairston, and Poole were pretty good for the most part against the Browns until the wheels fell off at the end. Would you keep those players in as starters, or would you work Tremaine Johnson back in? That is true. Those corners played a lot better than we expected, so if you had the Jets' defense in your FanDuel Fantasy League last week, you probably did a lot better than you expected. And if you haven't played yet with FanDuel, you really should start doing that because new users get 20 bucks in site credit if they deposit 20 bucks or more. You don't get stuck with the same players all season. It's week to week, which is awesome because then you don't have to worry about an injured player or a player who's massively underperforming expectations, tanking your season. They're there for a week, and then you move on to the next week. So your roster is very, very flexible. You can sign up now for FanDuel, get 20 bucks in total bonus. Just make your first deposit of 20 bucks or more to get started, and you'll get an extra 5 bucks in site credit every week. For four weeks, go to FanDuel.com slash DFS Fantasy or download the FanDuel app today. And Chris, I would say that if you're looking to pick the Jets defense again this week for your FanDuel Fantasy League, if you had them last week, if you want them to keep the positive momentum and keep defying the expectations, you're going to want to keep those cornerbacks exactly as they are because you stick with what's working. Tremaine Johnson was in there in week one. The corners played horribly. They changed it up a little bit. They threw Nate Hairston in there. Nate Hairston did a pretty good job. The Jets secondary was much better against the Browns than the Bills. And voila, all of a sudden, these corners that were perceived to be the biggest weakness weren't necessarily the biggest weakness because we were too busy talking about how bad the offensive line was. So I would stick with what's working. I don't expect Daryl Roberts and Nate Hairston to be anywhere near as good against the Patriots as they were against the Browns because let's be honest, Chris, now you're going up against Tom Brady. Now you're going up against Josh Gordon, Julian Edelman. As great as Odell Beckham is, he by himself is nowhere near as good as all those other guys. And I know Jarvis Landry is good too, but the Patriots are just a well-oiled machine. So yeah, I would stick with what's working. Make Tremaine Johnson prove to you in practice that he is worthy of getting another crack at the starting lineup before you put him back in. I'm going to start by saying this. If you're thinking of starting the Jets defense and a a FanDuel fantasy thing, uh, same thing with the Jamal Adams GoFundMe. Take whatever money you're planning on putting that and go donate that to starving children (laughs) or sick kids because you're going to lose if you're starting the Jets defense against the, the Patriots. But... 
to answer the direct question, yes, absolutely, I would stick with those three. Uh, Nate Harrison, I thought, looked really good. Um, he, you know, he had that – he gave up that long uh, pass to Odell early, but that was like just – he had perfect coverage on that. That was just a perfect pass and perfect catch by Odell. He, but otherwise, he played really, really good. Daryl Roberts even looked really good. And Brian Poole ha- has been really impressive so far this season. So we're a long way away from being like, okay, these three guys, okay, they're comfortable at corner now. But they looked a lot better uh, last week. Now, there was also – they got bailed out a little bit because Baker did not look good. He had those two good plays, really. But then he missed a lot of throws as well. Um, but uh, you have to stick with Harrison if, after the way he did last week. And obviously the coaching staff bench Jermaine Johnson. So, you know, this week Tremaine was still getting rotated in with the ones and twos. So it's not like Tremaine's not going to play at all the rest of the season. If there's an injury to either guy on the outside, then they can go ahead and slide him in there or even just for a series or two, or if the guy gets tired, and needs a, a break, you can probably see him in there. But I don't, I don't see Tremaine getting the starter job again, unless of uh, a, a serious injury or unless one of these other guys really falters. You know, maybe if you see Daryl Roberts have like the next two or three games, he he's getting shredded up. Then maybe you could see Tremaine sliding in for him, or Nate Harrison goes uh, and ends up getting shredded the next couple weeks. You could see them going back and forth, but uh, you have for this game at least you have to stick with those three and Tremaine just sit there and be you know a substitute role. I got to agree with you on Brian Poole. He's been one of the unsung heroes so far. He's been much better than advertised. Played extremely well in the slot so far. Next question comes in from Buckeyes and Jets fan. That's an interesting handle. He says, if the Jets have an opportunity to draft Jerry Judy, should they take it or stick with going after an offensive lineman or cornerback? It really depends on who's on the board, to be honest. I think if you have the opportunity to draft Jerry Judy and you feel like he's much better than the offensive linemen or corners on the board at that point or pass rushers, then you go ahead and draft him because there's an obvious need there at wide receiver. That said... Wide receiver is nowhere near as big of a need as those other areas. So if it's relatively close, I might be tempted to go for the cornerback, the offensive lineman, or the edge rusher. It all comes down to who's on the board when the Jets are picking. But I will also say that even if the Jets decided to go with Jerry Judy over a guy that I really liked at one of those positions, it's hard to get mad at that because Jerry Judy is going to be pretty awesome. Yeah, my answer is just yes. (laughs) <laughs> now, that answer is subject to change, and it's going to change. Uh, number one, it's going to change as I get more familiar with the uh, the rest of the draft class. This happens every year. If you ask me about a certain a certain players in the middle of the college season, I've got like five, ten guys that my answer is just going to be yes about. But then as the season goes on and comes to a close, and then I'm looking at tape in the off season, then I start to come around and my rankings change. But it's going to also depend on where they're picking. Uh, also, the 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 number one thing that the Jets should try to do in the draft, no matter where they're picking, is they should try to trade back uh, and acquire more picks, especially if it's a high pick. If they're picking high and they can uh, trade back with somebody who's looking to get a quarterback, 
not, you know, probably not Tua, but a Jake Fromm or a Justin Herbert, and you can pick up a couple extra high draft picks from it, then that's probably what I would try to do. And then, yes, obviously, like, you got um, uh, Trift, uh, Iowa uh, offensive tackle. There's going to be some some offensive linemen you want there. I don't know how high uh, we'll, we'll be thinking about where they're going to be projected. Um, and while I agree with you, offensive line is a bigger need, wide receiver is a need. They really – it's Robbie Anderson and Jamison Crowder – the Jets are playing Josh Bellamy a lot at receiver now. With Quincy out, Josh Bellamy is actually taking meaningful snaps as a wide receiver in a game, and that cannot be. You cannot have that be the case. I, obviously, the Jets plan on Demarius Thomas coming back from his hamstring injury, but I don't know what you're getting out of Demarius Thomas at this point. So a wide receiver like Jerry Judy would go a long way to helping this team We'll have to wait until we get toward close to the draft for me to know for sure how much I'd, I'd say go ahead and get me Doug Judy over an offensive lineman. But also, I, I want to continue making the Doug Judy, Jerry Judy jokes. So <laughs> I'm a little biased there. Next question comes in from Young Old Man. He says, any chance the Jets shoot their shot with Jalen Ramsey? I'm sure the Jets have called to inquire, but I don't think that it's going to be anything serious for a couple of reasons. First of all, Jalen Ramsey does not want to play for the Jets. He wants to go to a contender, and let's be real about this, the Jets are not a contender. So right there, I think that would be a problem because he would probably say he's not going to re-sign with the Jets if they make a deal for him. The second part of this is, I think that Joe Douglas is going to be hesitant to trade premium draft picks and spend a ton of money on a player when he knows he has so many holes to fill on this team. And he's a guy that really prides himself on being able to make the best use of his draft picks. So while I think that Douglas is certainly going to at least make a phone call or probably already has to see what it would take, I don't think it's a realistic possibility. I don't think the Jets are going to be willing to give up the sun, the moon, and the stars for him for obvious reasons. And Ramsey's not going to want to come here anyway. I am uh, 100% certain, and I promise and guarantee that Joe Douglas has made a call. Um, he is not going to give up anywhere near what whatever anybody else is going to willing to give up. Uh, somebody that's going to trade for Jalen Ramsey is going to be trading for him with the idea that we're winning a, we're trying to win a Super Bowl this year. And all right, so we give up a first and whatever else, but it's going to be a late first. And then especially with Darnold being out, and we don't know how long Darnold will be out, that they could be looking at a situation where they kind of did what the Steelers did, trading for Minka Fitzpatrick, and that first-round pick could end up being a top-10 pick. Now, I still wouldn't be against it because you can get a top-5, top-10 pick, and you're still hoping and praying that player, whatever position it is, you're hoping and praying that that player turns out to be half as good as Jalen Ramsey is. Um, so that wouldn't scare me off, but, but then I just don't think they're going to do it. I also would have, uh, think that Joe Douglas and Adam Gase might have concerns about Ramsey's personality. Um, so they're, I, they're, they're not going to do it. They definitely called to check in because, Hey, if we can get him for a fourth round pick and, you know, uh, uh Tremaine Johnson, then sure, go ahead. But that that's not going to happen. It's going to cost a lot to get Jalen Ramsey, and Joe Douglas is not going to be willing to part with whatever that is. 
Next question comes in from Sean Stalker. He says, Scott, in the very big deal, Chris Nimbley, where does the start of the season rank in the history of disappointing Jets starts? The only one I can recall that was more quickly deflating was when Vinny tore his Achilles in game one of the 1999 season. That was terrible because that was a season where everybody expected the Jets to be the favorites to go to the Super Bowl out of the AFC, and Vinny gets himself hurt on that very first drive. Oh, that was just brutal. That one was as deflating as it gets. The only other one that I can think of, and I can't remember the exact timeline of how it played out, so I don't know if it was super early in the season or a couple of games had gone by, but 2005 is one of the biggest train wreck seasons I've ever seen in my life. Keep in mind that Chad Pennington hurt his shoulder and ended up being out for the year. Then his backup, Jay Feely, in the exact same game where he came in to replace Pennington, ended up getting hurt, and then he was out for the year. Then they ended up having to play Brooks Bollinger. They called Vinny Testaverde back in off of the couch. In fact, when I was watching the game on Monday against the Browns when Simeon went down, I joked, oh boy, here comes 2005 all over again because that was when both Pennington and Fiedler were both hurt. So I think that 05 could be in the discussion, not only because of that, but let's also remember that same season was when Curtis Martin hurt himself in what would turn out to be a career-ending injury because in 2006, he would try to come back, but then eventually midway through the year, he decided he just was never going to be able to do it and told the Jets that he was going to have to step away from the game. And Wayne Corbett also suffered a concussion that ended his career too. So you said goodbye to two all-time Jets legends and the two quarterbacks that were at the top of the depth chart ended up being out for the season in short order. So I would say that if we were going back in recent memory and looking for seasons that could match this, you would say 99 because of Vinny and 2005 because of all the carnage that happened there. Yeah, those are the two that pop up into my mind as well. The thing, the thing that makes what's happening right now the most frustrating is not the losses, especially because we talked about this all offseason coming in, looking at this first six games. The, every, before anything happened, before that first game even played against Buffalo, most Jets fans, at least and no matter how delusional they were, they knew that there was a distinct possibility of a one in five season uh, to start oh and six to start the season because of the the matchups that they had in those first six games but they didn't expect to have to do it without Darnold and not be able to at least look and see what Darnold is you we, we all knew the offensive line was bad we knew this receiver group wasn't deep we knew the cornerback situation was a mess but the, the hope that fans wanted to hold on to was at least let's let's continue to see this progress from Darnold. Let's, this year is going to be about valuing Darnold, and then at least, no matter what the record is, at least they can feel comfortable that they do, in fact, have the franchise quarterback with Darnold. We've got to see him play against Buffalo. He's come out and said and admitted that, he wasn't uh, feeling 100%. He was feeling under the weather. He obviously didn't know it was mono when he played. He didn't tell anybody he was feeling under the weather, but he tried to tough it out. But without him here, we you don't even get to evaluate him. You don't even get to hang on to that hope. And that, I think, has to be the most frustrating part of this. Uh, at least with Vinny getting hurt, he was up in age at that point. So it was more of a you know, obviously a direct hit on the season because, like you said, there were favorites then. So that that was worse immediately. 
But right now, this has a little more longer-term implications on it because you want to see what Darnold has, how much he has grown and how much he has improved. You want to see that, and that being taken away from from everybody has to be the most frustrating part of it all. Next question comes in from Adam Simmons. He says, when will the suffering end? The first season in years we could be excited about this team and literally all hell breaks loose. Can this season be turned around or is the sweet release of death finally upon us? (laughs) I don't know if I get that morbid about it, Adam. Look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's going to be rough. There's a very real chance this team is going to start the season 0-6. It could be 1-5. It could be 2-4. But the schedule does let up. And we knew this all along. We knew that the first part of this schedule was going to be really, really difficult. And if the Jets were going to be able to have a successful season, it was mostly going to be built on the back end. If Sam Darnold comes back from mono and he's able to put things together, if C.J. Mosley comes back and he's healthy, it sounds like he's probably going to rest, but we'll get into that on the injury report tomorrow if Quentin Williams plays the way that we know that he's capable of if Le'Veon Bell starts getting a little bit better blocking so that he can start really putting up massive numbers there's a possibility that this team could salvage the season I don't know how realistic the playoffs necessarily are they were always a fringe playoff contender but could they still get seven eight wins yeah it's not impossible Look, you got to look at the schedule, and even we've been talking about the first six games, uh, and I, I keep trying to throw in that seventh game because I'm like, yeah, that's this defense that they're still really good, whether they have Jalen Ramsey or not. You look at what Clay's Campbell did the other night; he is disruptive and dominant as it gets right now. Uh, that Jacksonville team, Gardner Minshew's looking pretty good. Uh, that Jacksonville team looks pretty dangerous, so. We can even see them starting to 0-7. But then after that, you go Miami, Giants, Washington, Raiders, Bengals, Miami again. Then Baltimore, obviously a tough game. Pittsburgh, no Big Ben. And then Buffalo. That's that's a whole lot of winnable games. That last the stretch of the last nine games, there's only one team on that list that you look at and say, yeah, they're not winning that game, and that's probably and that's Baltimore. Every now, I'm not saying that they're going to go win all those games and end up nine and seven. We know how the NFL works and how the Jets work. They're going to drop one or two of them that they should win, but those are all very winnable games. So you could see them start out 0-6, 0-7, and then still be able to win six or seven games in that back stretch of games. And if everybody gets back and healthy, Darnold's back and healthy, and they're able to win six or seven games there or even get to eight and eight somehow, then all of a sudden towards the end of the the year, all right, you're feeling hopeful again. You're feeling like, okay, you've seen some signs of progress. Maybe Adam Gase – Adam Gase has finally opened up the offense some more and you're feeling a little bit better about him as the coach because it's understandable if you're not feeling good about him as the coach right now after just the way that the offense was run just from the play calling I can understand how you're not going to feel good about that I get why it's had to be that way because of the offensive line and because Darnold uh, playing you know under the weather in the first game and then also not having Donald for the second game, I, I get all that, but I still also completely understand fans' hesitation to embrace Gase after what they've seen from the play calling here. So if Donald gets healthy, Mosley and Quinn come back and there's no more issues there, um, 
those last nine games, you can absolutely get your hope back. Playoffs, you gotta, you don't even think about right now. Maybe make this like uh, the the first year Rex Ryan, where Rex Ryan came out and declared that the team's playoff chances were dead. They they had no hope of making it, and then they somehow miraculously pulled it off. Uh, take that mindset with it. They're not making the playoffs here. But they could possibly end up with six to eight wins by the end of the season, all coming in the second half of the season. And you could be feeling a lot better about this team heading into the offseason where Joe Douglas will be able to make moves, get rid of a bunch of players that are here now, sign some free agents, and then draft some quality players. All I'll say, Chris, is Gardner Minshew, sixth-round pick out of Washington State, looking a lot better than people expected in Jacksonville. Luke Falk, sixth-round pick out of Washington State. You never know. You never know. That Mike Leach magic could touch the New York Jets. It's possible. Absolutely. And, you know, but Luke Falk, pick 199, exactly like Tom Brady. I I know you guys have heard about all the similarities there, all all the stuff there. So basically what everybody is telling you is Luke Falk will be the next Tom Brady. So maybe the Jets should consider trading Sam Darnold. I expect Luke Falk to marry a supermodel any minute. Next question comes in from Rich Feldman. He says, hypothetical situation, if the Jets go 0-3, heading into the bye, which is likely, then pull out a surprise win in Philly with Darnold back in the lineup, will that quiet the negativity around the team? I think it might. Yeah, I'm with you. I think if the Jets pull out a victory over the Eagles, especially if Darnold comes back and plays well, I think Jets fans will start to be a lot more optimistic because they'll say, well, if Darnold's back and he's playing well, this is the guy that everybody expected him to be. They were able to go on the road and beat a tough Philly team. Maybe they can pull this season out of the fire. So, yeah, I think that would do a lot to change the mindset of the fan base. Yeah, it absolutely would. Now, that wouldn't stop it from sinking right back when they if they go and lose to Dallas sure. and New England at home the next two weeks. But it would soften the blow a little bit. And here's the thing about that. This, uh, Philadelphia, before the season started, I was looking at Philadelphia as one of the most automatic losses in that first stretch of games. Uh, Philadelphia hasn't looked all that impressive so far. So that might be a winnable game, especially if Darnold is able to come back at that point it might actually be a winnable game at that point. That, that, or I should just say that's the most winnable game in that first six-week stretch uh, that's left. Uh, it would definitely lessen the noise for sure. Again, like I said, if they go win that and then lose the next two, uh, the noise will come back. But it'll be a little quieter than it would if they just lose all the way through. Next question comes in from Dennis W. He says, how long until Harrison takes over? Why isn't Wesco playing? Griffin and Brown are not very good. Gase has to at least try to open it up on Sunday, right? This also goes along with John McAnally, who asked about Khalil and said, even though everybody knew he was going to be a little bit diminished, Jets fans thought they were at least getting a guy who could help the quarterback identify protections, what's going on. Is that on the coaches or the quarterback and Khalil? So let's go through this bit by bit. We'll start with the Harrison-Khalil situation. Harrison actually got in there for a little bit toward the end of the game on Monday. I think if Khalil continues to play like this, Harrison will get an opportunity to start. There's just no way that they can keep letting Khalil go out there and keep doing this. Now, that said, let's remember that Khalil has not had a lot of time to play with the current offensive line. He was called in off the couch with only a couple of weeks left of training camp. He's still rusty, still learning the offense. So there could be hope for him. 
That said, there was reason to express doubt about this signing when it happened. You get a 34-year-old guy who had just retired, call him in off the couch and expect him to be a savior of sorts. Chris took a beating for going on Twitter and expressing said skepticism. I expressed the same skepticism, but I only did it on the podcast. I didn't bother to do it on Twitter. I hope that Khalil can turn this around, but if he can't do it in short order, I do expect Harrison to take over. And as far as the protections, it's been such a crazy situation with all the different quarterbacks that I can't really put that on anybody just yet. But let's see how that continues to progress over the next couple of weeks. Why isn't Wesco playing? I'd love to know that too. Griffin can't block and Brown really isn't very good, as you said, Dennis. So I don't know if he's just not impressing them in practice or they're bringing him along slowly, but this is not what people expected out of Trevon Wesco. They thought that he was certainly going to see a lot more playing time with the absence of Christopher Herndon. Last part of this, Gase has to at least try to open it up Sunday. Yes, he absolutely does because I can tell you this for a fact, Chris. The Jets may win. They may lose. They're probably going to lose, but you never know anything's possible. But I can guarantee you that they have zero chance to win if they try to play the same way that they played for the vast majority of that Browns game and for the vast majority of the Bills game as well. The Patriots are going to put points on the board. The Jets have to at least try to score points or this is going to be just as ugly as the Patriots' Week 1 win over the Steelers and the Patriots' Week 2 win over the Dolphins. Yeah, I'll start at the end there first. Uh, I might need you to go ahead and uh, repeat some of that, but I'm going to start at the end there uh, first. They have to try to open it up. They have to try to do some more stuff. Being conservative, you, they're going to lose this game almost assuredly. You have, but go down swinging. You want to go down swinging. You're going to feel a lot better if you feel like they actually went down swinging, like they tried to pull everything out of the bag and it just wasn't good enough. But to sit there and play it safe and conservatively and then still end up getting blown out, that's going to be the most demoralizing that it can possibly be. You have to sit there and you have to try to go down swinging. Um, as far as Harrison with Khalil, look, he came in the other day. Gase said afterwards that they wanted to give Harrison some snaps, but you, you have to think that that's a, a little bit of a preview of what's in store if Khalil doesn't get this turned around right away. Because if they were just going to stick with Khalil the whole way, then they would have left him out there to continue to work with that group. They, but they wanted to, I don't know if it was send a message to Khalil or just, hey, let's get Harrison a little bit more work in here in case we have to make this move quicker than we thought or at some point. Um, but it, the fact that Harrison came in there and closed the game out and combined with how bad, bad Khalil has looked, yeah, Harrison uh, coming in for him is right around the corner. How close around the corner? I, I don't know. I, I can't see around the corner. My eyesight doesn't work that way. But it could be right around the corner or it could be, you know, a couple blocks down the corner. But it's coming. If Khalil doesn't turn this around pretty quickly, especially like, you know, I'd say after the Eagles game, if he hasn't turned it around by then, then expect Jonathan Harrison to be in there. And you could see that even this week, depending on how it goes. As far as uh, the protection issues, calling stuff out, <clears throat> like you said, I, we can't be sure, especially with having – they played two games but had three quarterbacks already playing so far. Uh, so that – and even the best-case scenario, 
the best center the, with not making any mistakes and the best coaching staff not making many, any mistakes, there's going to be some problems there when you're on your third quarterback and two games. But then it, it's got to be a split three ways. You have to blame the quarterback situation, the coaching staff, and Khalil. They all have to share some level of blame. How much – how do you divvy that up? How much? I'm not exactly sure right now, but they all have to share uh, some of that blame. Final question comes in from Delio Manegro. He says, guys who should be benched, what do you think? Beecham, Khalil, Winters, and Leonard Williams. We already talked about Leonard Williams. If they want to give him a reduced role just to try and light a fire under him for now, go ahead. The other guys, I mean, fine. They've all been bad. I'm fine with benching any of them. But just remember that there's no magic elixir here. They have backups that are solid depth pieces. But there's a reason why Alex Lewis was on the verge of getting cut. There's a reason why Compton is a journeyman. There's a reason why Adoga is considered raw and not ready to take over just yet. And there's a reason why the Jets paid so much money to lure Ryan Khalil off the couch and out of retirement. So if these guys continue to play as poorly as they have been, I'm fine with benching them. But just keep in mind that the guys that you're benching them for are not exactly world beaters. The real work when it comes to this offensive line is going to begin in the offseason for Joe Douglas. Yeah, I'd say um, Khalil's probably the closest with uh, Leonard Williams, the second closest. Now, Leonard Williams, I, I don't think you'd see Leonard Williams like benched, like you're out and you're not playing anymore. Like you said, it'd be more of a reduced role. And more that I'm saying even that more so just because of that's the deepest position on this team. Uh, and Jonathan Harrison, you know, obviously this uh, regime with Joe Douglas and Adam Gase weren't nearly as fond of him as Mike McCagnan was. But I do feel like that's somebody that you make a move much closer to than with Beecham, Michelle, and Winters, even though, like you said, they all could be and should be and an ideal world would be benched. But you turn and you look at who the options are there, and I don't know that uh, how you can expect it to be any better. You, you would you would hope and pray that maybe Chuma Doga is more ready than we thought think, and maybe he could do something. But like you said about Alex Lewis and Tom Compton, but then you can also look on the flip side and say, hey, Nate Harrison got uh, you know the culture ready to move on from him, and he looks pretty good too. Now that was just one game, so how much stock are you going to put in it? Who knows? Um, but yeah, I'd say Harrison's the closest, especially because, like I said, we just saw Khalil uh, come out for the end of the game last week. And I can't see them doing that without thinking, okay, we might be getting close to needing to go to Harrison here. And then Leonard Williams next, but that's in large part due to the depth on the roster. And again, I don't think that they're going to say, come out, Leonard, you're not playing anymore at all. But okay, maybe we give you, you know, cut your reps down 20, 25%. And that will wrap up the mailbag. Chris, as always, appreciate you joining me. We'll be back tomorrow for the pregame report, and we will have an injury report from Dr. Steven Stoller, plus the weather from Ed Valley, and gambling tips from my brother Craig. And, of course, we will have our keys to the game and preview the matchup between the New York Jets and the New England Patriots coming up tomorrow at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough. In the meantime, though, Chris, I know you have a ton of material up at JetsInsider.com, so what can people expect to read when they go over there? 
Yeah, I'll have my uh, preview up for this game uh, this week. You know, well, I'll, I'll have that up there. Next week, obviously, will be the bye week, but that's going to be a busy week. Uh, I'm going to – we'll see how this game plays out, but then I'm going to dive deep into uh, possible lineup changes that could come with it. We've touched on some of that stuff here, but I'm going to dive a little deeper into it, uh, talk about – basically go through every position and different things that they could possibly do, look about ways that they can try to still turn things around and improve the team with what limited options that they do have. So that'll be a big, heavy focus all next week uh, to really focus on there and getting it turned around and see that how they can still salvage this season. Again, playoffs isn't going to happen, but if they can finish the season strong, they can get uh, the the hope, hopefulness of the fans back. So I'm going to focus on that all next week long. Go ahead and read Chris's very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. Follow him on Twitter at CNimbly and at JetsInsider. Follow his deputy editor, the president of the Calvin Anderson fan club, Alan Schechter, at Alan underscore S-C-H-E-C-H-T-E-R. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and Turn on the Jets.com.